Okay. Gotcha. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of My Unapologetic Perspective here on the Mighty Motivation Network. Hotep to the family. Ashe to all my people out there. Uh, but this is the podcast where we give our point of view of, of controversial topics from our experience, Black history, and our knowledge as African Americans. Um, in the words of Maya Angelou, do your best until you know better. And when you know better, do better. So it's important to search for information to discover what you don't know so you can discover the best you. Uh, to the right of me is my co-host, Shaquan Battle. What's up? And to the right of him is the other co-host, Jerome Battle. I guess I should say, how do you? We're going to get into that. Um, but before we uh, jump in, uh, current events. Current events. Um, please allow me to go on a rant for a second before we even get into this topic. I've been waiting um, on this. The Bedford County Public School System um, did a uh, the board meeting, um, a school board meeting where they were going to talk about incorporating the critical race theory. And of course, they not going to do that. And they came up with the concept to offer African-American studies at all three schools, uh, which is going to be optional. And when I first read this decision, I said, okay, that's good. We get we get African American studies in our school. Um, we get an opportunity. Then I started to think about it, um, and it's not solely on Bedford County. It, it, it's on it deems on it falls on Virginia as a whole with the SOL testing, um, the mandatory classes that they say that that's needed for the SOL testing to prepare. And one of the things that you're tested on in in Virginia SOLs is history. And from what we talked about on this podcast, um, you're talking about maybe 5%, if that is black history in that, in those history books, which leads me to try to figure out what is the questions they would, they would ask on the SOLs. And I think everybody that's, that's black can pretty much figure out those type of questions that's going to be asked on the SOLs, stuff that you learn in first grade, second grade, third grade on, and it's not going to be relatively new information that comes from black history as you move forward through high school. But one of the words that keep getting thrown out to me is progress. And, and I'm sick of that word progress right now. Um, so, and, and what was being said is we are, we're not, we're, we're making a push to, to make changes and by giving us an optional African-American history class that we should be happy. <laughs> and that is my problem because African-American history is American history. That's right. Why wouldn't it be incorporated into American history? So we come to that, that term of separate but equal um, and uh, making one history mandatory and the other history optional is a total contradiction of what this country is supposed to stand for so for all the people who tell me about progress are the same people who tell me that racism doesn't exist is the same people that tell me there's no such thing as white privilege is the same people that tell me that discrimination no longer exists in this country but they keep saying the word progress so if you use the word progress then why then what it what is this synonymous to what is the progress from? To me, it's saying that we're not there yet, but we're trying. <laughs> to me, it's saying that, yeah, we still have some racial discrimination, but we're trying. And that's what I have a problem with with this decision. Because if you make it optional, who's going to take it? The people who absolutely need to hear truth? Or the people who just want to know about their heritage and culture. Now, I'm happy that my African-American students get a chance to learn this. But we need everybody to learn this because it's history. Right. So what you're saying is that your history, white history, is more important than black history. Right. And that separates what you, the people who stood, stand for the flag, the people who let off fireworks on the 4th of July, the people who say that um, we should do the national anthem. 
it goes against everything that you're supposed to believe in as an American, that we, the people are all equal. That's not equality. That is you taking, that is you taking the necessary steps to try to say what is important and what isn't important. And that is a, a slap in the face to the black people who have produced and contributed to this country that have stories that need to be told. And it's not right to glorify only the white people that you want to glorify and push the black people to the back burner and say, oh, it's optional to learn about them. That, that, that is not progress. Malcolm X had a quote that if you stick a knife eight inches into my back and pull out six inches, that's not progress because the knife should have never been in my back in the first place. Absolutely. So that, that is my rant on that. Um, I hate it. I hate it. It is the, the the most discriminatory thing that you can do. And it's 2021 and we're still having the same problem. I, I agree with you 100%. When you use the word progress, you're admitting that we're not where we should be. Mm-hmm. You're admitting that something is still wrong. So your admission that something is still wrong when you say progress is saying that you're aware that it continues. Yeah. So, and you don't, you're not willing to do what it takes to fix it. Absolutely. Now, I agree with you. I understand that at the state level, because black history is not part of what's on the SOLs, at least not in terms of what other, what you need to know versus what they choose for you to know. Mm -hmm. Um, However, we need to push to change it at the state level. Yes. Um, But not just at the state level at the nation level, mm-hmm. because learning black history in Virginia is not going to do any good for those black kids in Texas yeah. or those white kids in Texas where they breed racism. Right. So it has to go nationwide. But again, you have the same people that are, are on the other side of the argument talking about what you have to start somewhere. <laughs> That's where you start. Right. So you make it an elective uh, right. where somebody can choose to take it or not to take right. it. How many people really going to take it? Right. And, and when you look at what are what, what are electives? Okay. That's right. So electives are things like uh, a foreign language. That's right. <laughs> uh, home gym. <laughs> shop. Well, <laughs> even gym is mandatory. To a certain grade. They want you to move and, and, and get that action. That's in. right. So uh, even gym is, is, is mandatory on some levels. But when you begin to look at this, it, it just screams out discrimination at, a, at its highest level. I agree. At its highest level. And the, the, the problem is, is that people call it the critical race theory. That, that was the, the, the exclusive name that they get it. Uh, I don't call it that. Uh, me either. I just call it the truth. Me either. <laughs> but but here, here, here's the other part. You know what it's setting up for. So they're going to keep a, a tally of people who enroll in these courses, mm-hmm. right? And then when it's low enrollment, they're going to say, see? Nobody's interested. No, nobody's interested. Right. You see what I'm saying? Right. So this is this is part of the bigger plan, is to make it fail. Mm-hmm. Because they don't want it. Mm-hmm. They're only doing it because they were it was pressured, mm-hmm. and this was the least amount that they could do. Mm-hmm. But obviously, it's going to be sabotaged. Trust me. Absolutely. So I, I, I will employ every African-American student to, to enroll, enroll. Yes. and see if you can encourage some of your white friends to do the same. Mm-hmm. This program has to succeed before we go to the next level. Mm-hmm. Trust and believe you can't get a new program if you don't utilize the current one. Absolutely. Right. What are your thoughts? Um, y'all pretty much summed that <laughs> up. But I, I, I just, you know, for me, it was, you know, who's going to take the course? That's right. You know, you got black history or advanced PE. 99% going to take advanced PE. Mm-hmm. They're not going to do the black history. So. Right. And uh, again, uh, bl- black people, we have to be careful what we ask for because we ask for African-American studies. Mm-hmm. When, when you ask for African-American studies, they gave you African-American studies, but separate from American <laughs> studies, That's American right. history studies. So we Equal have to be separate. careful what we ask for because they gave it to us, but they gave it to us in a way where it's saying that uh, it's optional. It's not mandatory. It's not that important as the other history that we're going to talk about. But like Dad said, it, they're going to say, "See, not a lot of people signed up." But the main thing they're going to say is, "Not enough black signed up." Right. Yeah. It's divisive. They know it's divisive. Right. So, um, 
that's our rant on that. Um, but we're going to jump into today's topic. Um, today, we're going to be talking about the history of the black cowboys. <laughs> and we're not you? talking about the Dallas Cowboys. <laughs> that's right. For the people who are confused, the history of the black cowboys in the old west <laughs> and we're gonna get down to business <laughs> we're gonna get down to business That's right strap your boots on <laughs> we'll get down to business here so um so how, why are we talking about the 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 black cowboys why haven't you learned about the black cowboys why did their history get lost uh mainly because they want the author of the stories uh the first books that came out about cowboy novels was back in 1902 1903 and none of them included uh black cowboy so the the narrative that came across was that uh most of the cowboys were well all white all cowboys were white if you watch old western movies you're going to see uh mostly white uh cowboys you're not going to see a lot of uh black cowboys um you're typically seeing indian or mexican cowboy but see before you see a black yeah absolutely in a western so uh, we didn't write the books. We didn't produce the movies. Therefore, we did the work, though. The, a lot of the, the black <laughs> cowboys were left out of the stories. A lot of the uh, Mexicans and Native American cowboys were their stories were told by white people, in which they were probably the villains of the stories. That's right. Uh, so that's why you did not get a lot of the, that, the, that history lesson. Um, but we're going to go into the chronology of history uh, about this topic. And I'm going to start in. Um, in the 1500s, um, the Spanish conquistadors who were in the Havana um, parts of Cuba um, at a time, and they were going to explore the North and America, the North American continent. So they went on these voyages, and what you're going to see throughout history as you read history, which they're not going to teach you in these white uh, American <laughs> classes. What you're going to see through history is there was always, always, always. Not just one, not just two, but a group of African, enslaved Africans or people of African descent traveling along these voyages with the Spanish conquistadors. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the, the trips that they made was to um, Texas. And they had an enslaved African by the name of Esteban. And Esteban was with them on his voyage. Um, but the shipwreck. And they came up on the coast of Texas in which five of them, including Esteban, were taken by the Native Americans as, as slaves for, for about five years. Um, Esteban ended up escaping from the Native Americans to a friendly, friendlier Native Americans to where they embraced him. They actually called him an interpreter for him because he could talk with his hands real good and be able to interpret uh, for him. And he eventually goes back into back with the Spaniards and they want to do another voyage because they understood that he could communicate with native Americans. But the second voyage that they wanted to do was to the New Mexico, Arizona border area. And when he was, um, they actually sent Esteban ahead of the voyage to go into this area. And the native Americans that he was once with told him, don't go into that area. Um, those native Americans are kind of like the ones that enslaved you, but he went in and they ultimately killed him. Uh, and I told that story because if we was like the Europeans, we would say that Esteban discovered uh, Arizona, New Mexico. <laughs> That's right. But we know Native Americans <laughs> was already there. Um, but again, anytime you look at history, um, Africans were always with the Spaniards when they were discovering what we call the Old South and the Old West, places like El Paso, places like Santa Fe, places like Los Angeles. Um, there was always Africans on those voyages. Now, most people say, well, they were slaves, so they would have been on a voyage. That's not necessarily true. The only time you would take people on a voyage if they had something to offer to their voyage. Mm-hmm. You didn't bring on enslaved people just because they were slaves. Especially you brought on they, people that brought something if they went through Mexico because Mexico did not have slavery. Exactly. Okay. So when you, when you look at those expeditions, they were always there. Now, we could also take this back into West Africa where... West Africans were known to be great navigators on ships. That's right. Um, they were great when it came to longitude and latitude, which Europeans had no idea how to how to do that yet. Um, but as we look through Spanish territories, um, you had Africans, you had Europeans, and you had Native Americans together. But about 60% of Spanish territories were mixed ancestry. 
to the point that's where you get the term Mexicans from is Mexicans is simply Native Americans, Africans and Europeans um, into one. So that's what the bloodline is. But those mulattoes of African descent actually found it or I'm not going to say found it because Native Americans was already there, but settled in places that we call Los Angeles, uh, San Antonio. Um, those were mixed heritage people. But in 1783, something happened. Something very important happened when it comes to the Spanish territories and, and African people. King Charles in 1783 uh, wrote out a document that you can buy your, basically your race, whatever you chose it to be. So if you were a mulatto mixed with Native American you, or you were mixed with African descent, if you had money, you can buy your race and be called just Española, just a, a European. And with that came a lot of privileges to a lot of people to be able to buy land, to be able to uh, become big political leaders. But they were from African descent, but their certificate said that they were white. So a lot of the racial barriers got uh, construed during that time because there were a lot of black people doing great things. But their certificate said it was white, as we talked about on the last episode, that I'm happy about being black, but sometimes it's inconvenient right, <laughs> at the right. time being black at that time was being was inconvenient. So um, if we fast forward a little bit after the Mexican independence, where they declared Mexico an independent nation, um, many blacks fled to fled to Mexican territory. That, that territory is was Texas, California, Nevada. Arizona, New Mexico was all Mexican territory, which again, dad said, there's no slavery there. That's right. So a lot of blacks fled to the old West, uh, Utah as well, fled to the old West because there was no slavery there until United States win Texas. And then Texas becomes actually the biggest slave state um, in the Americas after that. Um, and after United States win Texas, they granted citizenship to everybody else except anybody from African descent. That's right. Um, so when the Civil War broke out, California, Kansas, and Oregon became Union states. Um, and then Texas slavery was where you get your cowboys from because right. the word cowboy is a derogatory word for black cow hands. So the term cowboy is a is a black term for, for, for black herd because you called everybody that was black a boy. No matter what age, it was a derogatory statement. So in, in Texas slavery, the, Af the enslaved African raised the cattle. They, they took care of the cattle. They uh, broke the horses in, um, and which was not nothing they weren't used to. They was doing this in West Africa as herdsmen. Um, but that's where the, the term cowboys come from. And a lot of enslaved Africans in Texas were not good slaves. And they ended up uh, rebelling a lot. And then when you look at the old West, there are a lot of black communities, just predominantly black communities due to uh, escaped slaves going in there and creating their own communities. And this is where you get your term rebel and outlaws from these. Because remember, slavery is part of the law. So if you escape slavery, you're an outlaw. That's right. So the, that's where that term comes from. So, uh, of course, and then during the, the Civil War um, is when the um, the raise of livestock comes in. People needed beef. Beef became the, the money maker during the Civil War. Also, you got to put in perspective that a lot of the the white residents in Texas joined the Confederacy to fight in the Civil War. Mm -hmm. So during that time, the Africans were left to take care of the herds the herd. themselves. Yes. So it was just them. And you got to keep in mind, this is years before there was barbed wire fence. Mm -hmm. So you just had open uh, uh, areas. Mm -hmm. And the Africans were, as you said, they were used to coming from West Africa and Gambia. They were used to dealing with animals. Mm -hmm. um, so while the white residents went and fought in the war, it left the Africans to maintain the, the ranch, so to speak. Mm -hmm. Also, um, with the native Indians, because uh, the the Africans could deal with the animals, they could manage them, mm -hmm. they couldn't ride them. Mm -hmm. So the Indians taught them, along with some of the Spanish, mm -hmm. taught them how to ride and rope. Mm -hmm. So they kind of taught each other in terms of how to manage them and then how to ride them, how to rope them. Mm -hmm. 
and that's, that's absolutely true. Speaking of Native <laughs> Americans, this is why there's a lot of Africans in the West because you also have to understand that yes, a lot of few Native American tribes owned slaves, but there were a lot of Native American tribes in the West that embraced Africans that ran away and allowed them to be a part of their uh, community or allowed them to be a part of their tribe. The Seminole uh, Native Americans is. Uh, which is a mixture of Native Americans and black Na- and black um, Indians um, in that area. Absolutely, uh, and a, a lot of the uh, blacks that ended up in Texas were escaped slaves that, that came from South Carolina and Georgia. Yeah. So when you think about the Underground Railroad, a lot of people thought the Underground Railroad just went, just north. went north. No, it, right. it went south. So a lot of their turns would be, "Why would I run north when I could walk south?" That's and right. So, uh, <laughs> and also, we talked about the Great Migration last episode. The Great Migration didn't just go north. There was another migration that went west because a lot of people thought that Africans should should go west to get uh, more opportunity for black people even after the Civil War. That's right. Um, but uh, of course, a lot of people settled in the Old West um, where they became where they began to work smaller ranches. Um, and then talking about during the Civil War and after the Civil War, they were heard a lot of these cattle from Texas. To Colorado, to Kansas, so a lot of the um, the Africans, free Africans, participated in a lot of these um, these little these little herd travels. Yeah, because you know, obviously, as the the the, the Civil War ended and you you started getting the, the migration, um, free blacks had few choices at job opportunities. Mm-hmm. Uh, you could be an elevator operator. Uh, I mean, <laughs> literally, you could be an elevator operator in certain buildings. Some mm-hmm. buildings they couldn't even be that. Um, or you could go out west and become a cowboy. Yeah, and then when you look at it again, this is this is one thing that people have to understand about enslaved Africans. That once slavery ends, who knows the job better than the enslaved Africans? That's right. So the ones that took care of the horses, that, that took care of the cattle and the herd and raised the livestock and worked the land are the people who know about the things the most. So why go be anything else in the world that's when right. I'm a cowboy? Right. All I all I know is farming. Uh, yes, sir. Uh, so, <laughs> and obviously that's that's true. That's all they knew is being slaves. Mm-hmm. They knew how to tend to the fields. They knew how to tend to the animals. Mm-hmm. So they made the best cowboys. Um, also, I know we talk about racism a lot. Of course, racism was very prevalent during that time. Of course, it was, especially in in the small towns. However, amongst the cowboys. Black cowboys were well well respected. Right. Yes, they were well respected. Uh, we're gonna get into that um, how that, that's possible in a little bit, but we're gonna take a quick commercial break. We'll be right back, and we are back. Go on YouTube, type in Mighty Motivation Network in the search bar, and subscribe to the YouTube channel. Follow the un- My Unapologetic Perspective. Share, like, comment, give us your feedback. Um, we appreciate all the support that we've been getting on these episodes especially after we just talked about with um, the optional African-American studies. You can always come here and get that truth. This ain't no critical race theory. This is black history truth. Unapologetic truth. Absolutely. So when we look at the facts of the black cowboy, uh, 25% of cowboys were were black. That's right. They said one in every four were were black. Um, But you know, I also seen where they say one in four was, was black. They also said one in four was either black, Native American, or yes, Spanish. Right. That's right. Absolutely. That's right. Um, black uh, cowboys in the Old West hope to achieve economic opportunity to be treated with dignity and respect, as we just talked about. Um, but they also look to go west to try to get away from discrimination. They want to get away from That's the right. south, and they want to go away from the north to try to get fresh opportunity um, because a lot of this territory was opening up, and African Americans wanted to be a part of that. Freedom. Uh, I yeah. mean, you, you think about it, if you go out to the open range and, uh, you know, ain't nothing but land and opportunity out there. The one thing that does not exist is ownership. Mm-hmm. Right. So, you know, you, you're not owned by anybody. The property that you go in and settle on is not owned by anybody. Mm-hmm. So obviously you had an opportunity to do two things. Be free. Get some own, get mm-hmm. some of your own get land. Some land. That's they right. also said, I know we had just mentioned that every you know, one in four cowboys was black. But, you know, further research shows when the census people came that they were often hired 30 to 40 other black cowboys in the woods. <laughs> so they so they wouldn't have to pay taxes on them. So it was more than one in four. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, 
for anybody that's that's listening, I want you to go on Google right now. I want you to type in the Creole Cowboys, C R E O L E Cowboys. Uh, now this was Louisiana territory before the Louisiana Purchase. That's right. Um, which would have been French territory. Um, so th- we're talking back in the 1680s. Um, that's almost 350 years ago. Um, some of these cowboys were were free men of color. Um, some of them were actually slaves, but they are considered the first cowboys in the country. Period. Um, when when you talk about uh, what they did, but uh, they basically worked as enslaved Africans on uh, on the herd again, breaking in the the, the worst horses, taking care of the cattle, um, feeding them. They did they did all of these these things, and they were considered the the first actual cowboys that, that's notorized in, in, in America. It, it's, that, that's the irony of that is, is that even, even at that particular juncture, in most cases, the African was considered an expendable. Mm-hmm. So they had them break the hardest, the meanest horses. Mm-hmm. Because if they got injured or whatever, it ain't no big deal. Mm-hmm. It's a part of the, we're going to have the Africans do it. We're not going to have a white do it. We're going to have one of you do it. <laughs> You're expendable. Um, so once again, you continue to see that blacks were treated drastically different, even at the start of the cowboy era. Mm-hmm. So absolutely, they, they also said that you know back then when they was you know the term cowboy comes from is hey boy go get that cow. <laughs> you know they said that you know doing those things with the cows was worse than picking cotton. That's yeah. So they said the the white people didn't want to do it because it was worse than picking cotton. So. That's where the term cowboys came from was, hey, boy, go get that cow. Absolutely. And mm-hmm. a lot of sometimes nothing's changed. <laughs> uh, but that's absolutely where it comes from, because riding a horse is dangerous, especially a bucking horse. So that's um, right. you, you, were, you could get killed very easily by getting kicked by a horse or right. dealing with a wild horse. Um, this is why we love roots so much. Uh, yeah, we go back to roots, you know, uh, Kunta, especially in the newer, the newer one that they redid Kunta's, you know, he's riding a horse in, in Africa. And when he comes to America, he, uh, he teaches his daughter how to ride That's the right. horse because his job was to, to, to train the horse and, and, and break the horse. And because a lot of times when you talk about the mules, even uh, the, the enslaved African drove the mules and all of those things. And they rode the horses and they, and they broke the horses in. So um, again, uh, uh, this is this isn't hard to, to 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 take in because you can see it how this is possible. That's right. Um, very early on. So um, anything else about the the chronology of history before we get into some people into some stories? Uh, Hollywood portrays the cowboys as gunslinger heroes. Um, mm-hmm. You know they was cast by white people, like we said earlier, which wasn't true. And they also said in the in the Western frontier in the eighteen uh, hundreds that you know America was more diverse than ever, even now. Yes, yes. Yeah, the- I, I think that's an important fact too. Is is that when we talk, we're talking about cowboys, but we're not just talking about cowboys. We're talking about the expansion of the, the West. West. Yes, and in that expansion, it did bring a lot of freedoms and opportunities for Black Americans. Yeah, and one thing that I actually read up on that I. Um, that kind of hit home for me when you think about it is when the westward expansion happens and a lot of these uh, territories become states, what they had to do was they had to vote if uh, for the black suffrage. That's they right. had to vote to see if black people should be able to vote. Black men should be able to vote. That's right. So a lot of the votes came in that they should came from those Western territories That's who right. worked side by side with blacks. Again, we talked about Oklahoma being one of them, um, Kansas being another, Colorado being another one. Um, those different type of places say, yes, they absolutely should get the opportunity to start fresh like everybody else and have the opportunity to vote. So blacks weren't able to vote on that bill to say that what they were allowed to vote, that that bill passes because white people who worked side by side with blacks respected them enough to say, yes, they should be uh, available to vote. So that plus we need the representation. Of course. So 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 we 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 need your vote, your your vote in order to have the power that we need right. to do what we want. Right. Even if you don't have a say, right. we need your vote in order to get that power. So it was twofold. 
but it benefited it did benefit black americans mm -hmm. as they expand we expanded out west especially when you look at cities like los angeles mm -hmm. and oakland and new territories opened up because of his discrimination Absolutely. against black people so when you look at a state like oregon Oregon didn't want black people there, period. That's right. So places like Washington and Montana <laughs> uh, basically opened up outside of Oregon be to allow blacks to come in because Oregon didn't want you in there. So again, yeah, like you said, you you just as, for a long time you weren't supposed to be there if you were black. It, they they ain't had nothing to do in written law. You just weren't supposed to be out there. I think about the Olympic <laughs> trials just a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> Eugene, Oregon, 120 degrees. I mean, what are you, what are you trying to do? <laughs> let's see how many fall off. <laughs> uh, but let's get into some people. And we know the number one person we're going to get into. I know he's probably on y'all list too, which is Bass Reeves. Mm -hmm. yeah. uh, Bass Reeves was a, a, long a, range. a born enslaved African um, who was actually owned by a guy by the name of Colonel George Reeves, who actually became a, like a, House, a speaker out of House for Texas. But to escape, Reeves beat him up. <laughs> That's right. Reeves, Reeves dusted him off and escaped to the Native Americans. And um, after the Civil War, he, um, he became part of the, the deputy U.S. Marshals uh, working for in, uh, the federal court in Arkansas. And it said that he arrested over 3,000 criminals mm -hmm. and killed over 14 outlaws. And the myth is, that he never exchanged, um, that he never got shot once by doing so. That's right. Uh, but when you look at Bass, he is actually the representation of the Lone Ranger, mm -hmm. the Lone Ranger movie. And uh, in the movie Hang 'em High, Clint, Clint Eastwood's, Eastwood's character That's is right. based off of a Reeves life. Absolutely. Absolutely. Something you won't learn in America. <laughs> Absolutely. And Bass Reeves, he was whitewashed. Of course they, he was. They didn't accept him as a black man, so they put a black mask on a white man in the movies. <laughs> Call him the Lone Ranger. But we, Bass Reeves. Yeah, I, I, there's a guy named Nate Love. Ooh. And, uh, well, Nat Love, sorry. Nat Love. Um, you know, he, he gave some good, I, I think in 1907, there was a book where he gave some vivid graphics about how the West really looked. Mm -hmm. um, so what you see in those Westerns is true. Because if you look at them, and you look at the little settings, because most of them low budget, early on movies, where you have a town and you have all these saloons and shops and, yeah. you know, you have all that. But outside of that, it's wide open. It's yeah. nothing. Um, he gives those those talks. Um, he, he talks about that where he was one of the best cowboys they were. And they would, of course, engage in fighting Indians and things yeah. like that. But for amusement. There was nothing. Yeah. So it was became what called what they call daredevil rotting, shooting, roping, and things like yeah. that, which is where you eventually get your rodeo yeah. from. So he talks about that. And also they talk about how blacks couldn't rope during the rodeo in the beginning. Mm -hmm. They had to do it afterwards After or early in the morning. Mm -hmm. They better not catch you out there trying to rope. And, and it, it actually became a problem because white people start hearing the stories of mm -hmm. how, what uh, the how blacks was doing. That's right. The that's time. right. Yeah. That was actually. They said we in, missed uh, the good, we missed the best part. That's right. It was actually in Alice, Texas. Yeah. That's right. That's right. Uh, yeah, but but Nat Love, um, he wrote those those memoirs, and those became the base of what you see in the Western movies today. That's uh, right. Based off of his, of his stories and his storytelling. Burt Johnson. Um, you didn't say that right. What? <laughs> Burt Jones. Burt Jones. <laughs> 1956, a movie called The Searchers by John Ford. Um, took direct inspiration, according to the notes from Burt, uh, in the film John Wayne. He played it. Um, I, I want to read this quote from the interview in 1971 about a good old John Wayne. We can't all of a sudden get down on our knees and turn everything over to leadership of the blacks. I believe in white supremacy until the blacks are educated to a point of responsibility. Now, you can Google this interview and read what else he had to say about black people, but I just wanted to take that part out. And that's by good old John Wayne. <laughs> hmm. I'm gonna go with uh, sister. You ain't, you ain't had nothing. To... 
No, I'm 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 gonna leave it alone. <laughs> okay, leave it alone. I'm gonna go with Sister Stage Coach Bear. <laughs> Sister Stage Coach Bear. They said she had she had a ball in her hand and revolver in the other hand. <laughs> but uh, Sister uh, Sister Stage Coach Barry was um, again born enslaved. Um, most of the people we're gonna talk about probably was born enslaved. Um, but once she uh, she got a job offer from the post office, being uh, carrying the mail uh, for the stagecoach, uh, she was actually the second woman with the job and the first African-American woman in the United States to have that job. Uh, but she was nicknamed um, Black Mary or Stagecoach Mary. Uh, she carried a rifle and a revolver um, where she met trains with mail. She, she carried it during inclement weather. She went across the Rocky Roads. But the biggest thing is she fought off thieves and fought off um, outlaws who tried to steal the mail. Um, so she was, she was well-respected because she was called a, a woman with an attitude. And she had a she would drink all the time like the man. She would carry a revolver like like the man. And um, it's actually when she died in in that area, she it said that she had the biggest funeral the town ever seen That's because right. she was she was dearly beloved by the locals and for her kindness to the children. So stagecoach Mary was one of them them outlaws that'll pull that weapon on you real <laughs> That's quick. Right. That's right. I, the person I'm gonna go with. I know both of you guys are gonna chime in on them because I know you got them on your list. Bill Pickett. Oh, yes. Right. You know, uh, invented bulldogging. Um, and it was a rodeo technique of wrestling steered to the ground that he devised based on watching dogs mm-hmm. take a take a, a, a steer or prey down and how they would bite them on the ear and ride them into the ground, basically. And uh, he said, huh. I can do that <laughs> and decided that, yeah, that's what he was going to do and and became very popular for it, gained a really good reputation in his unique method of catching stray cows. Mm-hmm. Um, so obviously we see this in the rodeo, but he used that to actually go out and bring in stray cows yeah. as part of his job. So um, Bill Pickett. Yeah. He actually wasn't allowed to perform at a lot of different places. And they said if he was, he probably would have been went down as the greatest performer in rodeo history. Right. First um, black honoree of the National Rodeo Hall of Fame. Yeah, they they call him the the first black cowboy movie star. That's right, uh, William Pickett. Oh, Willie Thomas, baby. <laughs> in the fifties, he was the he was in the top twenty of professional uh, rodeoing. Never got the credit for breaking the ice for black cowboys. Uh, they said that he would jump down on the bull and ride with no hands, <laughs> which led in uh, which led him into rodeoing. They said at one point. Uh, he was never bucked off a bull. He had rolled 50 to 60 before he was ever knocked off. Uh, I'm going to go with a brother by the name of uh, Jesse Stahl. Uh, and back in 1912, it was a rodeo in California. And there was a uh, a Mustang by the name of, uh, not a Mustang, but a Bronco by the name of Ratton, by the name of Glass Eye. It was a um, uh, a Bronco that, that was considered the wildest. They even nicknamed it the Twisting Devil. That's right. That nobody had ever conquered. And and Jesse Stahl got up on that thing uh, with his cowboy hat, and uh, he broke the spirit of that Bronco. And the 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 it ended up giving out out of exhaustion. But he is considered he he rose to 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 popularity after that. And a, there was a lot of white cowboys that refused to enter the rodeo when he was there because of uh, discrimination but the rodeo stopped caring because they said the people came to see him yeah. <laughs> so they, they they stopped caring and but um a lot of white rodeo was said that he is famously remembered for winning first place but being awarded third place um for uh, from discrimination from the judges but one day after he thought he should have finished first place they finished third after breaking in uh, another wild bronco he goes and get on the second Bronco after they gave him third place and gets on it backwards with the suitcase <laughs> in his hand and staring at the judges down as he, as he rolled out, uh, out riding it backwards. They said every time he went to another rodeo, they wanted him to ride it backwards. Uh, but yeah, Jesse Stahl, one of the, the greatest uh, rodeo riders in history. Um, you know, when I was a kid, I, I questioned everything that I learned, especially in history class. And one of the things that I would always question is where were blacks during 
the Westerns, mm -hmm. you know, and, and my dad would always say, well, research it. You know, of course, you guys keep hearing me talk about it. It's like encyclopedias because we didn't have Internet. But one of the first books that I read um, as a kid regarding blacks in the Wild West um, was actually a book. and was inspired by a true story. It was a it was a fictional book, but it was called Gunpowder. So mm -hmm. if you you have an opportunity to to pick that book up, you got to check it out. And what it does is it depicts two African-American sisters who became notorious outlaws in the Wild West. Believe me, somebody's going to make a movie about this. <laughs> Trust me. And it, it might be this guy right over here, <laughs> but somebody's going to make a movie about this. Now, although that women aren't usually main characters in modern cowboy stories, if, if at all, um, I can't think of one other than the one where the woman was a gunslinger. Mm -hmm. But other than that, women aren't really depicted at all, especially African-American women. But they made enormous contributions in the advancement to the West. Um, when we talk about cowboys, we're not just talking about rodeos and and herds. We're also talking about the expansion into okay. the Midwest yes. yeah. and, and out West. Um, when we talked about the two freedoms being free mm -hmm. and then the opportunity to own real estate brings you to Bridget Biddy. Oh, yes, Mason. absolutely. And uh, she's uh, basically became rich. Mm -hmm. um, just by uh, purchasing land out west and obviously selling it could be can, could be deemed one of the first real estate agents mm -hmm. in the old west in the in, out west during her time. Mm -hmm. um, so I I I I have to go Bridget Biddy Mason. Mm -hmm. She uh, she when she died in 1891, she was considered the richest woman in that city. That's um, right. Uh, talking about Los Angeles. That's right. Um, but she was the first female black landowner in Los Angeles and made wise investments um, for that. Um, I'm going to go a different direction. I'm going to go now. Um, Kwani Blake from Manita. Okay. Um, who is kind of like my wife's brother. Um, he ride bulls now. Uh, he actually just posted last week he want to start fighting bulls. Mm. Um, and then her brother but Brittany's real brother, Jamie Thompson, um, he got he didn't he wasn't able to get that far into bull riding because he had MS. And that's actually how he found out he had MS was he was riding a bull. It threw him off. He had to go to the hospital. He was diagnosed with, with MS. Wow. Um, wow. And, and Kwani is still riding bulls today. So if you want to find him on Facebook, it's uh, Kwani Blake. It's spelled Q-U-A-N-N-I-E Blake. That's dope. Way to go, Kwani. There you go, Kwani. <laughs> Yeehaw. <laughs> um, I'm 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 no, I'm gonna pronounce this wrong. Dad probably know the name. Um <laughs> No, I don't. I know what you're gonna say. I, I tried to Google it and do the little sound thing where you could hear it. I, I Bose Eckhart, maybe? Yeah. I, I, I B O for the people who say uh, I like to be a, in the teacher in teacher mind state. B-O-S-E-I-K-A-R-D. Um but we talked about the cattle drives earlier. Um, those were, were huge. Um, but Bose was, was born enslaved and he grew up working with horses all the time. He was a skilled cowboy even before the Civil War. So after the Civil War, he joined what they called the crews that did the, um, the, the, the cattle drives. And they, what they would do, they would take him from Texas to Colorado or New Mexico so they can go to the, the markets so they can uh, go straight to the markets. But uh, it said that when they went from Texas to New Mexico and Colorado, that they herded almost 3000 cattle. Um, and it was a dangerous job because you was going through Native American territory um, in which they would would try to steal the, the herd or kill you or whatever the case may be. And actually, during the trip, one of the uh, one of the leaders was killed. And when on his deathbed, he said that I want <coughs> you to become a partner with the original partner and continue right. this on. And it was a silent partnership, of course, because he was black, but he continued to do it to where at times they said he had $20,000 on him while they was, while they was making these trips. And um, if you go back and watch the movie or the TV series called Lonesome Dove with Danny Glover, he played this this character, and there's actually a, a school in Texas right. named after him. But load, imagine three thousand cattle taking them into a whole another right. another state. You, you mentioned some. You mentioned the word 
that I think we need to make sure uh, we we may we may uh, be a little bit of comical about the dialect, yeah, um, for for westerns and cowboys and all that. But make no mistake about it, cowboys were skilled craftsmen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I want to I, I just want to make that point. They they were very skilled. So I'm glad you you mentioned that. Um, being a cowboy is not an easy job, mm-hmm. and it's, we make fun of it just because of how they talk yeah, compared funny. to how we talk. <laughs> but obviously, people up north make fun of how we, we talk. Yeah. So. Um, it goes with the territory, so I'm glad you mentioned that. But I want to mention um, when you start when you start talking about expansion, and you talk about freedom, and you talk about real estate, and you talk about opportunities, we cannot forget the one equalizer that we always talk about, which is education. Absolutely. Um, Elizabeth Thorne Scott Flood. Yes, yes ma'am. Yes. Act, she was an educator and activist. Yes, she was. And, um, you know, uh, she was born in New York, educated in Massachusetts, got married, moved to Northern California. And after her husband died, they moved to Sacramento. Mm-hmm. And at the time, um, she couldn't get, that, couldn't get a kid enrolled in school. It, yeah. There was no education for blacks, mm-hmm. um, not just blacks, Asian Americans and yes. Native Americans. Mm-hmm. There was no school. So guess what Elizabeth did? Started, did started it herself. Started herself. Started educating um, black kids, um, Asian Americans, Native Americans, uh, any non-white child that was barred from public school, she educated. Mm-hmm. Uh, and after her son was denied enrollment, she used to open up her own minority school in 1854. Uh, <clears throat> and then eventually the school board assumed control over the school because yeah. she had the large enrollment. Still didn't want to pay her. Yeah. Also didn't want to pay tax revenue. <laughs> so she continued to educate for many years. So um, I think when you when we start talking about expansion, it's always important to include education. Yep. Um, earlier, Baker spoke about um, mixed races. So I'm going to go Johanna July. Um, she was black and Mexican. Um. She developed her own uh, method of taming horses. She also was tall, barefoot girl that wore bright dresses and wore, um, she wore a hat and braids, long gold earrings and necklaces. Um, but she was known for her ability to tame wild horses, teaching them how to swim. Um, she gained the attention of the U.S. Army, and they eventually hired her. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not going to go too much into it, but uh, Dad talked about the people who, helped settle the West. Um, we talked about on a previous episode, Mary Ellen Pleasant. You can't mm-hmm. forget about her. Um, right. what she, what she did, uh, the mother of, uh, California, what she did. Um, there was also a girl, woman by the name of Susie Sumner who created the, uh, founded, who was part of, um, the Seattle Republican newspaper in 1984. Susie regularly contributed content and served as an associate editor. So having a writer in in those in those parts was huge. Um, she actually became friends with uh, Langston Hughes later on in her life that we talked <coughs> about on the last episode. But I have to talk about we talked about them before, but they're critical when it comes to this topic, which is the Buffalo Soldiers um, right. that we talked about on the um, the the episode talking about our black soldiers. But these were 25,000 men that served in four different regiments who became black heroes of the West because they're they're stationed. They stationed them in the West because they didn't want them in the South, of course, because that didn't go over well with those blacks in uniforms in the South. It didn't go over well in the North either. So putting them out West, um, they were they were the peacemakers during the West. Um, They 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 kept the Native Americans away from the white settlers. They kept the white settlers away from the Native Americans. (laughs) And they kept Native Americans away from Native Americans. So they were the, the peacemakers out West during that time. And um, they really helped settle uh, the West, uh, those black soldiers called the Buffalo Soldiers. That's right. That's right. Um, so the, the next person I, I'm going to mention is, um, before I do, I want to mention why what they did was so important. You know, when I watch Westerns and I watch them take a wild horse and they tame it, I'm Come on, what do you, why? You know, mm-hmm. what was the purpose in that? Well, obviously, uh, in order to tame horses or any animal uh, to be used to people so that you can utilize them for whatever it is you want. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and without taming them, you can't have them around people. Mm-hmm. So what they did was very important. Mm-hmm. So not only were they skillful craftsmen, what they were doing was very important work. When we talk about, you know, we may look at them going to find cows that got, got away or whatever. That's important mm-hmm. um, because obviously that's going to be food in the future. Right. So you want to make sure you you get that. But also what they did was important to society because you, you can't have animals around people unless they're trained. Yeah. One horse, Charlie, was, they called him one horse because he said there was no horse that he could not break. <laughs> and uh, to his, to, to the account, he, he broke every horse that he ever tried to ride. Mm-hmm. So, um, I think it's important that uh, although black cowboys played a significant role in the West, there was very little attention given to their existence, mm-hmm. even today. Mm-hmm. So I know we all watched Hateful Eight with uh, Samuel L. Jackson. Hateful Eight, Magnificent Seven. Yeah, but come on now. The the role was too small. Yeah. But I, I did tell you guys a story. I am a rifleman. I, I like the rifleman mm-hmm. Western. Mm-hmm. And there was a couple episodes where Sammy Davis Jr. was on it. One of them, he was a sharpshooter. And in real life, he could actually use mm-hmm. a revolver gun and he could do those tricks to the point that they had to have him slow down. They had to have the camera slow down to be able to catch the tricks because he did them too fast <laughs> and he couldn't do them slow. So they had to make the camera slow the tricks down on, on the show, which I thought was was amazing because I read about this and I was probably like 13 or 14 mm-hmm when the first time that I read about that. So um, Cowboys, and I'm not talking about Michael Irvin and Tony (laughs) Dorsett. We're going to take a quick commercial break. We'll be right back. And we are back again. Go to YouTube, type in Mighty Motivation Network, hit the subscribe button on the page. Um, We're going to jump right back in. Y'all got any more people y'all want to talk about? I got one. I got one that, and this is funny because uh, her name was Cathay Williams. Cathay, not Kathy, but Cathay. <laughs> Cathay. Um, she was the first uh, African-American woman to enlist in the Army and did so by disguising herself as a man. And uh, she was a cowgirl. And um, she was very good with horses, which is why she was able to disguise herself as a man. Mm-hmm. And uh, they, you know, obviously she went into the Army as a cowboy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I got one more. Uh, Brianna Noble, who is a uh, fourth generation cow cowboy, which she is a woman, of course. Um, she is a horse trainer. She has a riding school. Uh, first documented rider to join the Black Lives Matter movement in Oakland, in California, in June. Uh, she was the first of many. Um, also, you know, one of her quotes was. They might not listen to a little black girl, but they'll listen to a little black girl on a big horse. <laughs> um, and also, I, w- I want to read a quote that somebody wrote about her. Uh, it was, he says, horses have been used to control demonstrations. And in this case, they were on the other side of it. And that, that journalist and author is Walter Thomas Hernandez. Dope. Uh, a couple of more I want to just address real quick uh robert lemons was a great mustanger they called him the uh, secret whisperer because he would talk to the to the mustang and gain right. his trust that's right uh, that's the way he said he uh was able to break his uh break his in and another guy by the name of charlie willis was uh recognized as a singing cowboy who authored the popular trail song goodbye old paint and said whenever they would go on these long trails where, like you said where there was nothing around he was saying these cowboy songs that's right and he um he so he sung it around uh, a kid one day, and the kid recorded the song later on, and it became a, a popular country song. And and later he said, "No, nah, I got that from Charlie Willis, uh, because this uh the song was called Goodbye Old Paint, and Charlie Willis's horse was called uh Old Paint." Um, uh, a guy by the name of George McJunkin, he was a cowboy, um, but he also um in Folsom, New Mexico, that we talked about before on this podcast. But he found the um, some bison bones from Folsom, and that was some people that were here um, early in uh, early in the in the Americas. Uh, I think that's all pretty much 
Oh my God. So let's, I want to jump into today a little bit. You just talked about one of them, which is the Compton Cowboys. Mm -hmm. uh, the Compton Cowboys are a group of friends from a child from childhood that began uh, horseback riding and providing positive influence in the inner That's city right. through this. Um, so you don't necessarily always have to use basketball or football. They, they decided to use horses because again, when you have to break a horse in, you have to feed a horse, you have to train a horse. This is great um, mentoring for, for our youth. And this is what they did in, in, in the, uh, in Compton. Mm -hmm. And the motto is the streets raised us, but the horse, but the horses saved us. That's right. Um, but uh, the Compton Cowboys, uh, they do a peace ride, was organized as a show of solidarity for the city's black community. Um, so one of them was the Compton Cowboys. You also had the Philadelphia Cowboys in, on Fletcher Street. Mm -hmm. uh, the new movie um, with Idris Elba is called Concrete Cowboy. Uh, talks about these um, people and some of the people that's actually in the movie are actually real cowboys out of, out of Philadelphia. Um, but you, you would see them all the time. They they would deliver food and all of that stuff back in, in old Philadelphia times until cars took over. But a lot of them wanted to continue to keep their stables to continue to do this um, by using horses. And also the Fletcher Street Urban Riding Group is a nonprofit founded by Ellis Farrell. Mm -hmm. um, one of the things that he said was producing an alternative to outdoor leisure activity to community and engaging urban youth horse riders while teaching life, skills, instilling discipline, and promoting academic excellence. Yeah, and a lot of them are actually horce jockey trainers. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah. uh, you know, I find that whole story unique. And 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 I, I'm gonna go back for one quick second. You posted a video on your page the other day where it's a black father talking to his black son on the football field. Yeah. And um, he, he, his son, another guy comes by and says, oh, man, you're going to go places with those hands. And he, the kid was like, yep, yeah, I'm going to go to the NFL. I'm going to be pro. I'm going to make a lot of money. And his dad looked at him and said, yeah, but you can do a lot of other things with mm -hmm. those hands yeah. other than just play football. Mm -hmm. Well, when you mention Compton and you talk about horses in Compton, we talk about, and don't laugh because this is true. We talk about NWA straight out of Compton. You mm -hmm. talk about the gangs that came out of Compton. Talk about Venus and Serena Williams came out of Compton. Compton. Yeah. So you take that area of Compton and you get all these different scenarios mm -hmm. of what black people can achieve no matter what the circumstances, no matter what the environment. You want to talk about resilience. I've said this before. Black people are the most resilient Absolutely. people in the world. Resilient. Mm -hmm. uh, so you you look at those situations, and I'm amazed at how you can white America still look at us and do not want to include us in American history. Mm -hmm. How can you not include us in America? We are American history. Right. What are you talking about? Include us. Yes. We are American history. We don't give a damn. You don't have to include us. We're already there. Yeah. We already <laughs> exist. Yeah. And that's the reason why I wanted to do this topic uh, for a few reasons. Um, number one is for what you talked about is that this is a part of American history and it's important not just for white people to understand this. This is important for us to understand that's it right. because like we said, we make jokes. Black people make jokes on black people. If you see a, a cowboy, a lot of people will call him a sellout. Like you're, right. you're trying to act white, you're trying to be white, and and going through this information made me change my whole perspective on on, on that entirely because they're not. This is where they come from. That's they right. they they come from on the farm. They come from uh, the cattle. They come as herdsmen. That's not that's not race based. That's right. As, as we like this, that's not stereotypical as we like to see it. Now the movies of Hollywood may portray it that way, but just because somebody has an accent, they may dress like a cowboy. They may um. Wear the big high, the high heel boots. Mm -hmm. They might wear the the tight pants with the belt buckle. That's part of their heritage and culture too. It's That's part right. of our heritage and culture. So we we can't look at the those Southern Negroes as being sellouts or whatever. We have to begin to understand our true history because when we understand that, we understand Black people as a whole. That's and right. not all of us are basketball players, football players. Not all of us are singers. Not all of us are come from the urban. Uh, the urban part of America. There are places like in those places like Texas, 
like Louisiana, like Mississippi, like Alabama. That's all they know is that farmland. That's, that's right. all they know is those those horses and those cows. That's all they know is um, that hay that they have to stack. That, that's that's not black and white, especially for us. That's right. That, that comes from our history too. We have to understand that. You'll find out that those are some of the smartest people and strong the Baltimore is strong they don't gotta I, go to no jail when you start talking about irrigation I had a guy tell me no, 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 that's not irrigation now, let, let me explain <laughs> you what here yeah very smart in order to be able to farm maintain animals um they have to have a certain level of intellect in order to be able to do that mm -hmm. now it may not be equal to a professor at at, at howard university mm -hmm. but to be just as smart just in a different manner. Mm -hmm. And I, I think that sometimes if you look at heritage, cowboys, farmers may be closer to being Afrocentric as anybody else. That's right. when we talk about West Africa. Uh, absolutely. absolutely. So uh, again, I want to do this topic because I it's important not to categorize black people. Okay. Well, like, again, we're more than just sports and entertainers. So my thing is my wife been trying to get me every time we go on vacation, let's go horseback riding. No, I'll say, man, that ain't for me. Mm -hmm. That's no longer my statement anymore. Why? Because that's part of our history. That's right. You're now I want to ride a horse. That's right. That's I, right. I, I, I absolutely want to ride a horse now because that's part of black history as well. well I, I don't want to ride a horse. I, I rode a horse before when I was a kid. We have a choice. <laughs> Grandmother made us ride a horse. I even know the horse's name. His name was Joker. And we had to ride the Joker, mm -hmm. right? I don't want to ride a horse, but I understand what you're saying. Oh, um, no. Nah, for my wife, I, I ride a donkey if it means get next to you. Know, but, <laughs> and, and we make jokes, you know, because it's, it's part of what we do. You know, one of my favorite movies, as you know, is 48 Hours. Eddie Murphy, <laughs> and he's in the bar, and he yeah. puts the guy's cowboy hat, and he's like, you start running respectable business, I don't have to come in and ask you every night. No what I mean? That's right. There's a new sheriff in town. <laughs> His name is Reggie Hammond. Y'all be cool. But, you know, and the thing is, is we understand cowboys mm -hmm. because you don't understand the dialect if you don't. Yeah. So how do we know how they sound unless we understand cowboys? Right. So we understand them. We respect them. I got some country folk in my family right. that that's all they've ever done is maintain cows and farms. So, it, it, it again, it is a skill craft. Right. We want to we keep saying that skill craft. In, in closing, for me, um, personal experience, I won't say his name, but, Bake, you know what I'm talking about. Dad, you probably do, too. Um, what are you doing, boy? Um, <laughs> you know, it, it was times where, you know, he was judged when we was in high school, uh, mainly because, like Bake just said earlier, we, we think our history is urban, that if you don't dress like this, then that's not black. Um. Only thing we know is what the only thing we knew is what the athletes wore. Yeah, yeah. you know, uh, if if the athletes wore, we considered that that was our history. If you didn't dress like this, then you wasn't black. And for him, you know, even for the white people, I think they kind of laughed at him because they like, you know, what are you doing? That's not your history. Yeah, you're trying to be like, yeah, us. You, yeah. you're trying yeah. to be like us when essentially he knew his history. Yeah. He he was being he was authentic. He yeah, was, I used to think when I used to see him, I thought that he was acting. Right. And then one day I saw him in Walmart and he walked up to me and say, Hey, you're squandering them days. <laughs> and it, it it caught me off guard and I was like, Yeah. <laughs> you know, because he was he was he was so mm -hmm. sincere. Mm -hmm. That was who he was. Nice, nice guy. Yep. Um, he was not faking and he was true. And that's the thing is whatever you are, whoever you are, whatever you want to be, be true to it. Absolutely. And, I, and I'm I'm it. glad you said that because he is one of the Nicest guys you'll meet. Really right. um, he really is. It, actually, his son and my son played soccer against each other this year. But uh, to to close that out, uh, black history is everyone's history. That's right. Um, you know whether it's white, black, because like I said, they they judge the white people judged him because they was like you trying to be like us, and TJ was. Yeah, he was embracing his history. Right. But we didn't even know that was our That's history. Right. Before Baker make his close, and I just want to say, I, I I just want to reiterate this: there is no American history without Black history. Right. That was my that was my there close. There is no it. American history without Black history. You can't. There talk is about no it. America without Black America. Hmm. I, I I do got one more closing argument, and it it plays into this a little bit. Um, I forget what his name is. He's on Clay Travis. 
Clay Travis weighed in on um, Miss Richardson and weighed in on um, the Olympics, and he 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 made a he, his point was um, that it came from that the pitcher for the Los Angeles Dodgers was suspended for um, what he did, and Deshaun Watson was no longer suspended. Uh, wasn't was wasn't suspended at all not, for his allegations. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Which he didn't take that into consideration that this happened during the offseason and the pitchers for the Dodgers is happening um while the season is going on. But he said it was black privilege for Deshaun Watson. <laughs> but my argument not even with that. That was that was a dumb statement. But he said something on Twitter to somebody after they made a comment about it. And he said, Where in the world could you go? and make millions of dollars as an athlete other than America. This is why you should stand for the flag and all this other stuff. My comment to Mr. Clay Travis, he may never hear this. I'm fine with that. But for the rest of the people who think like that, I want you to understand something. Where did the wealth in America come from to be able to have sports to be able to create that type of revenue? It came on the, on the backs of blacks. That's right. So you don't, don't pretend like you're giving us something. We earned every bit of what we get here in this country when it comes to making millions of dollars because you made millions of dollars without doing absolutely nothing. So don't give me that you can, that athletes can make millions of dollars just by dribbling the basketball. That is the freedom that you get in America. No, we figured out the loophole. We figured, listen, you can say whatever you want about LeBron James. But most of white America would not go back and live in Ohio where he comes from. That's right. That's the hood. He didn't come from millions of dollars. He figured out that I can make millions of dollars by being able to play this game and I'm going to trick the system to do it. Mm-hmm. Not, that don't leave alone how much money people made off of LeBron James That's because right. he was on ESPN probably about five times before he could ever get revenue. Right. So you're talking about billions of dollars being made by white America before he even gets in. In, in the NBA. So don't tell me that these athletes should be happy that they're going to the Olympics and making all of this money as being being athletes in America. No, they deserve everything that they get because if we was on any other continent in any other country, we would still be the influencers we are and we would still make the same amount of money, if not more, and don't act like you're doing us a favor when you brought us over here and you made money off our backs. That's, That's right. right. Period. Absolutely. Absolutely. But anyways, we love y'all. Say something else. (laughs) But anyways, we love y'all. Thank y'all. Peace.